Okay, you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and Natalie's going to read it for us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threat them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Thanks, Natalie. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> whose favourite passage was just read then? <laughs> I don't know. How, 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 how are you feeling? You looking forward to this sermon? Yeah. Okay. I sometimes think like when, you know, the senior pastor gives a certain passage to the other guy. <laughs> Does it mean he's trying to kind of throw me the point? Or is it just that he trusts me? That's what it is, isn't it? Okay. What we want to do here is honour Christ. So let's uh, let's pray for his um, presence as we do our best to understand what this is saying to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and loving God. We thank you for your son Jesus who showed us the way of love. And we pray today that as we look at this passage that you will open our eyes and our hearts to grow in our understanding of what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. Amen. 
So, uh, I thought I'd start by asking you to think about the things that you might do at home that you would never ever dream of doing here at church. You know, maybe burp loudly after, you know, finishing your meal. Maybe some of you do that after morning too, I don't know, but most of us would try and temper these things. Or, you know, or, or, or you know, if you're my era, you know, loudly sing those 80s rock songs that we just love so much, you know. Don't do it here, no. Or make a dash out of the bathroom to grab that towel that you forgot to take in with you. You know, this kind of thing. You've probably got your own examples. And all of that's okay, isn't it? Well, it's mostly fine. I don't know if Erica always appreciates but you've got the, the, the idea. But what if, what if we're really good at church at, at showing the humility and the patience and the kindness and the love of Christ, all those things, and yet when we go home, we forget to even show the basic courtesies to our spouses or to be gentle and patient with our children, this kind of thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I think there is something very good about, about being able to let your hair down, if you've got any. Uh, what are you laughing for? Uh, when we get home. There is something good about it, right? But too easily, you know, it can become a kind of taking for granted or a lack of care. That ugly side can kind of leak out. And so the reason I'm pointing this out is because I actually think that goes to the heart of what Paul is talking about here. I think what Paul is saying here is that we need to live lives shaped by the Spirit of God, not just at church or when everyone's watching, but 24-7 in our homes, in our everyday relationships. That's what he's saying. So whatever else you think about this passage... Don't miss that. Are you with me? Okay. So here, here it is. Our faith needs to shape our everyday relationships. And let's try and just review for a minute where we're up to here in Ephesians. Uh, you remember the beginning of Ephesians paints this big picture of Jesus and what he's done for us and the wonder of it all. And then at the beginning, we get to uh, the beginning of chapter 4 and Paul then is... He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have in Christ. Because of all this wonderful truth about who you are in Jesus, live that out. Live in the reality of that. Let that show. And, and, and then he goes on to kind of unpack different ways that it might show. And so at the beginning of chapter 4, he's talking about unity in the body of Christ. That's one really precious and important way that who we are in Christ is going to show through our love, through our unity together as the body of Christ. So he talks about that. And then we get to verse 17 in chapter 4, and I think this might have been last week, where he's then talking about, about just letting our faith shape our everyday lives or our everyday walk is an image that he uses in these these verses. And he talks, he's got those different illustrations and examples that he talks about taking off the old clothes and putting on the new ones or showing the family likeness in the way of love and he talks about living in light not darkness 
and he talks about being drunk but not with it not with wine but with the spirit of god and allowing all these things so and that so that last illustration is about letting the holy spirit shape us to shape our lives today's passage i think paul is continuing this idea it's about living a wise spirit shaped and influenced life in our everyday relationships that's what it's about and the examples of the day when he looked at what are the ordinary everyday relationships in our in our households today when paul looked at that thinking about his original audience here he thought of wives and husbands he thought of children and parents and he thought of slaves and masters they were the they were the they were the everyday relationships and um you know which of them is the least familiar as we look at it today yeah we look at it and we go who's got a slave Uh, erica does but most of you probably don't (laughs) okay i've got to be careful um you know but you've probably heard people talk about this passage and they, how, how do we apply it you know and one of the one of the things we sometimes hear is that you know slavery in those days wasn't anything like the images we might have in our minds you know the black african slavery that we think of often it wasn't like that and so we often very quickly move to an application and say well it's just the same as employer employee relationship today and, and make an application that way well you know i, I guess i want to say problem with that is that the slavery master institution that Paul was speaking into here was probably at least as different to our employer-employee relationship today as it was to black African slavery, right? It's a different kind of thing. It was a household institution for one thing and that's not the nature of our contemporary workplace. So Look, all, all this to say, however, whatever we make of these institutions that Paul uses as his examples, the key idea, the key idea in all of this is it is about allowing the Spirit of God to shape our everyday relationships so that we reflect Jesus in that place where we are least likely to fake it, which is in our homes. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. So... Let's think about that, just even that idea for a moment. How do you go with this? You know, integrity in how we live, you know, so that it, how we live at home is, is really the same as how we live publicly. And as I thought about this integrity thing, um, do you remember that ad? It was a while ago now, it was for Ingham's Chicken. And I can't remember all the words, but, okay, mother and daughter in a car together, and... And, and, and I think one of the little girl's friends or something goes past and she sticks out her tongue and yells out something obscene. She swears at this little other little kid. And the mum is like shocked. You know, and w- where on earth did you pick that up? Can you remember how it goes? And then, and, then, and, then, and then she goes to pull out of the curb in the car and someone else comes zooming past or something. She leans out and lets loose, swears at them. And... Uh, and then turns to the daughter, they look at each other with that kind of look of realisation, you know, that's where you got it from kind of thing, me. It's that idea of integrity in our relationships, in our, in our values, le- letting, living out our values in all kind of parts of our life. 
I don't know if that was a helpful illustration, but it's what I thought of. Um, think about it. The, think it. <laughs> I mean, we can all do this at times, but the family that argues all the way to church, you know how it goes, but there's this like magical transformation as they step out of the car or walk through that door, right? Boom, different people. Or, um, well, worse, worse than that, what about the pastor's kids who turn away from faith because what they see in their parents at church versus what they see at home is so different? And so they, they walk away from faith because of that hypocrisy. That's real. That happens. Or, you know, uh, the upright church man who's found to be abusing his wife, right? No one would have guessed it. And even as I mention these things, I want to reassure you that there's some material out in the foyer there if you need support in that space. So, our faith. That's a bit heavy. But... What's Paul saying? Our faith has to show itself in our everyday relationships. It has to. And so the question for us is, do we live with that sort of consistency in our own lives? Do you? Of course, there are two sides to that. It's not just about living out, you know, and being better at home. I mean, another side of this probably is about perhaps being more real at church right I think what Paul is saying here uh, it's not about pretending to be better than we are it's about consistently seeking to be open and honest and real in our pursuit of living out our faith in Jesus no matter where we are right not pretending and not forgetting that's his point okay so what's this look like and how does it work well we now have some examples as we turn to our passage that Paul thought of. So he's speaking into everyday relationships of his day and he's, trying to, he's talking about how Jesus should transform what that looks like. And of course the first example is uh, husbands and wives. But first we're going to read verse 21. Right? We need to live out our everyday relationships in the way of Jesus. Verse 21, which is where we start. What's it say? Have you got it there? I'm not going to put these verses up on the screen. Hopefully you've got a Bible or something. But verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, you could almost finish this passage there. Right? Jesus is our motivation, but he's also our model. He showed us what it looks like, didn't he? when he walked on this earth, what it looks like to love others in that selfless, self-giving, sacrificing, submissive... He showed us what that submissive kind of love in our relationship should look like. He did it when he went to the cross, obviously, but he also did it just through his life in the way he related to people, including those that others uh, didn't care much for. Right? The, it's this idea that is the, it's the, like the fundamental, it's the repeated message of this passage... To, to, to reflect the way of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus in our everyday relationships. That's what it's saying. So we've got the example then of wives and husbands. So shall we read verses 22 to 25 again? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I know we all tend to get a little bit fidgety when we read passages like this one because of the whole submitting thing. But I think that we are at risk of missing the main point. And I've already made the main point, haven't I? For us, you know, when we read this, it's the wife's side of the equation that feels kind of uncomfortable, right? It, it feels so striking and out of step with what we kind of understand from our culture today. But that wouldn't have been the case in the original setting. In the first century audience, as they heard these words, it wouldn't have been the wife material that would have been confronting, would it? It would have been the husband material. Right? And, and as Paul is about to do when he talks about uh, slaves and masters, right, it's, it's the top end of the hierarchy that he's really out to modify here. Right? He's trying to transform it compared to the, the, the broader culture. So when Paul commands wives to submit, do recognise that nowhere in here does he command husbands to rule or lead. Find it for me. It's not there. He doesn't say that. The husband's rule or authority, I think here, is assumed more than it's affirmed. So Paul says, in this institution which exists in this culture, where the husband is the head of the wife, that's the way it works around here, right? what is important here is allowing Christ to transform the way that that works. That's what he's saying. So wives, show Christ-like love in laying yourself aside to submit to your husband, who in the world in which you live is your head. Husbands, given that you are the head of your wife in this world in which you live again, this is the kind of headship you need to exercise, headship that's been transformed by the way of Christ, which incidentally looks a lot like submitting. So there it is. Submitting to that kind of headship is not going to be a burden, is it? Just like submitting to Christ. Is that a burden? It's not a burden. It's not kind of a duty or an obligation or constrictive. It's joyful and freeing. Uh, a, a, um, a, uh, an illustration I thought of. Who gets massages sometimes? Oh, there's a few of you out there. Um, pretty rare in my world, every now and then. But you know, what I know from my limited experience is that if you're going to enjoy a good massage, you need to submit to the masseur. Imagine trying to fight it. It's not going to work, is it? So there is a place. There is a place. And, and just look at the way, of, this is about the way of Christ 
Okay, Galatians, here's a couple of passages. Galatians 5, 13 to 14. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. That's true, isn't it? We are free in Christ. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. This is the way of Christ, this submissive, self-giving kind of love all round Philippians 2 3 to 8 do nothing out of selfish ambition this is one of those most beautiful passages of all Philippians 2 about what Christ did but do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The way of Jesus, this beautiful love of Christ for us. And it's, this is what we need to... We need to show the way of Jesus in our relationships, in all our relationships humble submissive love all round all round now the idea of submission anyone submitting it's it kind of it doesn't really fit in our culture very well does it we, we, we like individual rights don't we that's what we like to talk about but as Paul describes in some detail in verses 26 to 33 here and I'm not going to read them again now but when submission is mutual and it is loving in marriage like this, it is beautiful and it provides a powerful picture of Christ's love for his church. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's our call, isn't it? To show the world the way of Christ. Go back to chapter 3, verse 10. This is how the mystery of Christ is going to be revealed through his people. And this is one way we can do that, through our loving submission <laughs> to each other. That, that self-giving kind of love now of course marriage isn't the only everyday relationship where we're called to do this all our everyday relationships and so the next example that's used here is children and parents i need to turn the page but if we look at verse chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 we'll see what he says about that that relationship he says children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth so there it is god honors obedient obedience and here for children but this whole idea that putting the other person first or seeking the best for them again it goes both ways so verse 4 Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So there must have been stuff that went on in that culture that meant that this was a particular example that Paul wanted to highlight for fathers to show uh, Christ-like love in, the, in your relationship with your children. And, you know, we think about this today, and the, the, you know, the price we pay in a society where we, we've kind of forgotten that loving our children and expecting them to be obedient can actually be the same thing that they can go hand in hands i mean that is a problem or when when parents do kind of exercise authority over the kids and they do it in an inconsistent way or in a in a, a kind of a an oppressive or an abusive way i mean none of these examples that we might think of are about putting the other's interests first 
That's not what's going on here. So, there it is, children and parents. Let's now look at slaves and masters. What's he say about them? Verse, um, verses 5 to 8. Now, it's not the same as the modern workplace. We've already said that, but okay. Maybe we can think about that a little bit as we, as we read these verses, if there are principles here that might apply. Qualified kind of application. Verses 5 to 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So here's a principle. Showing Christ means doing honest work, not the minimum. There you go. There's a little application for you. But the radical instruction here isn't so much about the slaves. Again, it's about that top end of the hierarchy. It's the master. Look what he says to them, verse 9. This is the bit that would have stood out for his original audience. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. Bang! Right? That's the cutting edge for his original readers. And, you know, so for us, will we, you know, like masters, I guess, if employers are going to show Christ's love, they're going to need to look out for the best interests of those in their charge, not just their own interests, the bottom line or whatever. So there you go, there's an application for you. But what's the big point in all of this? Let me ask you, would people see Jesus? Would they, be, would they be confronted by his radical love? Radical, and I don't use that term lightly. If, if they got some kind of a, a glimpse into the earthy reality of your relationships... Would people see Jesus there? That's, that's what this is about. That's the question for us all to think about. So that's it. That's the main point. Now, I, don't, I, just, I guess I need to say a few more words about the institutions that are used here as an example because they're the bits that often get, the, get our attention when we open up a passage like this, and I think wrongly so. But, you know, I, th I would say it is more difficult to know what to do about the institutions that are used as examples here. Um, what do we do with them? Well, let me say this. Paul's instructions, I don't believe, mean we should never challenge the shape of the institutions that are mentioned here. If they did, we'd better bring back slavery. And I don't think we want to do that, do we? Now, let's think about slavery for a bit, you know. Uh, but here's the principle. Paul isn't telling us how... This is what I think. Paul isn't telling us how power should be expressed in relationships nearly so much as he's telling, he's, he's telling us how to be godly in relationships where power is expressed. Does that make sense? Should I say that again? <laughs> Paul isn't telling us how power should be expressed in relationships, right? He's not defining the institutions that should exist for all time nearly so much as he's trying to tell us how to be godly in relationships where power is expressed. I think that's kind of how we navigate this. His aim isn't to define the kind of household institutions that we should have. He's looking at the basic household institutions of his day, 
where there are power differentials and he's giving on instructions on how the way of Jesus should transform the way we live them out. That's what he's doing. So the obvious, the, the, the slavery example highlights this, right? Because it's one of his three. Paul isn't here calling for its overthrow. He doesn't say get rid of slavery, does he? He doesn't say that here. Nor is he establishing it as a God-ordained institution for all time where slaves should have that kind of power and authority over or where masters should have that kind of power and authority over their slaves. He's, he's just not doing that. His, his focus here is for transformation within this relationship that exists and where power is expressed. That's what he's doing. Now, over time, history shows us, doesn't it? Shows the story of the church being very involved as leaders, amongst others, driven by clear biblical convictions in abolishing slavery. We know that, don't we? I hope we do. Right? Especially in its more inhumane forms, slavery was clearly inconsistent with biblical convictions that we might have, teaching about the equality and the dignity of all people, this idea that you can own another person. Uh, it just doesn't fit. Just look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, or look at uh, Jesus in uh, teaching in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, right? Now, we would all agree with this now, right? I see people nodding as I say it. But it's important to note that there was a time, wasn't there? where some Christians would point to passages like this one to oppose the abolishing of slavery, right? It took courage, it took the persistence of people like Wilberforce and if you've seen the movie, you know how it goes, right? To turn it round. Now, today, slavery is far from dead. You know that, don't you? Sex slavery is a big problem in our world today, including in Australia. Uh, children being taken from their homes, not so much in Australia, but to work on the cocoa farm or whatever. We've seen the kids slaving away in a brick farm in Cambodia instead of going to school. Slavery. It is an oppressive, it is an evil institution because it doesn't value people equally. And so, as the people of God, we need to stand against it. Are you with me on that? Yeah. But Paul doesn't say that here. Because that's not what he's talking about. Right? And this should serve as a warning to us, I think, in how we read passages like this. Right? Including how we look at the wives' husbands bit. Right? We've talked about how, how good, loving submission can be to headship when that headship looks like the way of Christ. I mean, that can look beautiful. Right? It transforms it. That's Paul's point. But it seems to me that we should be cautious about then arguing that what this means here is that a hierarchical version of the marriage relationship is God-ordained forever. I just don't think that's what he's saying. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, you could argue that that kind of ruling is one of the less-than-ideal consequences of the fall. Have you ever thought about that? Think about Genesis 3.16. I think I've put it up here. Part of the curse, when people turned away from God, Jesus said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is just a thought I've got. There's this competing of control that is resolved in a broken world by husbands ruling that I think maybe, it, have you thought maybe this reflects our brokenness more than it reflects our ideal? 
there's a thought. It may be that we're better to understand husband's headship as the natural way of things in a broken world rather than God's perfect plan. There's, just, there's something to think about. Maybe it's a bit like painful toil or pain in childbirth because they're both mentioned around this time with the curse, aren't they? And how do we, what's the right way to deal with painful toil? Like work is going to be good, but it's also going to be painful, right? Women are going to be able to give birth, but it's going to be pretty painful, right? How do we deal with those things? What's the right way to deal with them? Well, it's not something to seek out and glorify, is it? Painful toil or pain in childbirth. We don't say because this is in Genesis 3, we're not going to give you any... Um, medication to ease the pain or we're not going to um, you know try and reduce the kind of frustration that we experience in the workplace because there it is in general we don't say that we try and mitigate it we do what we can but we also don't try and deny it either I mean if you live in a world where you think you're going to have work which is always fulfilling because you're living in Christ it's not going to be that you know so there's kind of this reality that we've got to live with um, so we don't deny it but we don't glorify it either does that make sense maybe this is one way of viewing the whole headship thing but let me say this if you are enjoying a more egalitarian kind of marriage than Paul seems to have in mind here I don't think Paul means that we need to change it so that the husband does more ruling I don't think he's saying that. I hope I haven't lost too many friends. Okay. Whatever you think about this stuff, right? What's the main point? Have I made it clear? Let, let the way of Jesus transform your relationships, your everyday relationships, no matter where the power is held, right? Um... He isn't telling us how power should be expressed in relationships nearly so much as he's telling us how to be godly in relationships where power is expressed. And, it just, and when we go in the way of Christ, it changes everything. And it needs to change everything at home as well as in the public, space, public spaces. That's what he's talking about here. Please take, take that away with you this morning. So that's, that's it. Allowing the love of Christ to transform our everyday relationships. And, you know, we want... We want it to be so that when people do get a glimpse of your life in the private spaces, when they come into your home, when they catch a glimpse of how you talk to your husband or wife when, no, when you think no one's listening, that instead of being repelled from the way of Christ because of our hypocrisy, that instead they will be drawn to Christ through the earthy, reality of godly relationships that's what we want we need God's help with that so how about we have a time of prayer now I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect on you know I think there's probably a few of us that have things to repent of when we think about those those relationships and I'll give you a moment to tell God about that and then we'll ask for his help Heavenly Father, we do need you. 
when we think about those closest relationships, when we think about our homes, we realise that uh, sometimes there are things that need fixing. We need to be more like you, even when we think most people aren't watching. Lord, we know that this really counts. We know it's about integrity. We know those things can make all the difference. We know that if you are real in our lives, we'll be transformed in all parts of our lives. We thank you for Paul's passion about this in this letter. And we pray, Father, that as we look at our relationships and the way we live them out, that no matter what they are, that we would allow your spirit. We want to be drunk, not on wine, but on your spirit. We want your spirit to be influencing us so that love is the rule and that people can see Christ in and through us by your grace, in the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.